0: Coming to you from that once forgotten artery that pulses through the center of the continental United States and into the heart of the Ozarks, Grace Matthews. Looking in from the northern border, our Canadian friend, along with his countrymen, feeling the effects of U.S. political issues, Connor Murphy.
1: Welcome to episode 22 of Dueling Dialogues. I'm Connor Murphy here with Grace Matthews. Hi, Grace. Glad to have you back with us. Thank you. I've started happy hour early. Yeah, I hear that. Some nice painkillers for you.
2: Yeah, yesterday was um, quite an experience.
1: Definitely.
2: Um, salivary stones mm, are
1: painful. Never heard of that before. Didn't know that existed.
2: Oh my gosh! I hope you you never experience it because it is painful. Well, I'm just glad
1: you're okay and you're here with us and able to talk today.
2: Yes, I am able to talk. Good, good. So what do we have on today's show? Well, today we're going to talk about the new enlightenment. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, definitely Trump represents something and we're calling it the new enlightenment.
1: I prefer something.
2: (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, it is change. So it's still kind of all about change. Right. We've been talking a lot for the past two or three weeks about change. And, and, um, well, you I, know,
1: I have to agree. Trump is probably the biggest change that we've seen in years. And after the election, everybody said, well, people just want to change.
2: That's true. And, and, you know, it, you're Right. We have not had an awful lot of change. I mean, sure, you got Republican, you got Democrat, and you kind of go back and forth through history. But has anybody really been changed? I mean, they say say Reagan was, and and to a certain extent he was, but not to the extent Trump is.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: You have studied a lot of spirituality, Reiki And a lot of those disciplines discuss change. Change is perpetual. If we do not change, eventually we cease to exist. In fact, very quickly. So generally speaking, change is not elective. Right. And regardless of whether you participate in change or not, change is going to happen to you.
1: Absolutely.
2: It, It happens no matter what you do. And it kind of goes hand in hand with that idea that actually drives me crazy. I live in the Midwest and one of the things that really bothers me around here is that sometimes people just don't want to make a decision, but they don't understand that when you don't make a decision, you're making a decision.
1: (laughs) To not make a decision. Yeah.
2: I mean, it really is so, so counterproductive because If you really want to control something, then you have to do it. Passively not doing something, like we said, is still making a decision, but it's losing control. Yeah. Which is the very thing that scares us most.
1: I'm sure right now, somewhere out there in podcast land, there is a guy sitting in that fancy chair in the front of a woman's shop waiting for his wife to make a decision.
2: Correct correct I. you know there is no doubt about it you know but that's why nowadays they have a lot of little pubs in the malls
1: <laughs> great idea
2: that's for not, men with indecisive women
1: yeah not here yet but uh, I guess some yeah. of them do have pubs but uh, I just yeah. tend to try and stay right the hell away from the mall
2: yeah, yeah I'm not much on the mall either and actually you know Malls are suffering a bit as people right. buy more and more online. Yeah, absolutely. But we are digressing.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we are. But it's all part of change.
2: Well, it's all part of Friday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as citizens, our role in the cycle of change is up to us. Absolutely. You know, I mean, except outside of natural disaster, which we've had plenty of, we get to pretty much decide. People that don't want to consume news and learn about events happening in the world are wishful pacifists. I kind of don't understand how you can live your life, make decisions, good decisions, and not be familiar with the news. We all know those people. You know, when you go out to dinner or you're having a drink and you say, well, what about... You know, whatever it was you heard on the news today, and they go, I don't listen to news.
1: <laughs> Been there, and isn't that you, an odd, awkward feeling?
2: It is. It's like, do you breathe?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, absolutely cannot I, even imagine what's going through their heads.
2: Well, they cling to the idea that not knowing is not synonymous with not happening, Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it's not happening. I I do understand that ignorance is bliss.
1: Right.
2: You know, if you don't know about something, then you can't worry about it. Exactly. It's still happening. Yeah. So that is, you know, it's illogical. And I think until recently in the United States, we had a lot of those people. I don't know about Canada, but I think that in the United States, it's been the exception it's been the norm rather than the exception. Suddenly, though, there has been a veil lifted off the masses. And they're seeing what they couldn't or wouldn't see before. Yeah. There are people right now involved on both sides. You know, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, whatever, that have never been involved before that are taking active notice, the news shows and um, even shows like ours and our website are getting a lot of attention that was previously spent elsewhere, like football. But people are, are more interested and more aware. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody agrees right? because they don't, but there is an elevation in awareness. So what's happened?
1: I think the exact same thing is happening in Canada and did. People were tired of the Harper government and we saw a change. And who did we bring in? The globalist Trudeau. So we see it too. And I know those same people. The people that did not even watch the news a few years ago, are, I would say, are anarchists now. It's it's At least they are on social media. I don't know what their real life is, but I see it every day.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you're getting a lot more people, like you said, obsessed with the news. Yeah. Um, I think that Trudeau, electing Trudeau in Canada was similar to us electing Obama in 2008, his right. first so, term.
1: So you think we're four years, eight years behind then?
2: I do. I, I mean, <laughs> I, well, I just think the change cycle, you yeah. know?
1: Well, um, yeah. The, the cycle was. With- actually is the election cycle so we had to wait our our turn but exactly
2: uh, yeah so and and whoever comes after trudeau could be quite different but obama was our first change
1: yeah noticeable change
2: noticeable change yeah i mean you know bush was was very establishment very much of of the same and uh, obama was a change and you know not as much as of a change as I believe people thought they were voting for in him. Right. And I wonder if it'll be the same for Trudeau.
1: Yes. Already he's, you know, a lot of people that were pro-Trudeau are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, this ain't good.
2: There's one big thing they have in common that you already mentioned, globalist. Yes. And both of them are very ardent globalists.
1: Absolutely. I'm not sure what I'd rather have right now. I'm more confused than anything.
2: Oh, I know. Well, and, you know, we we, we can't really see into the future. We can only project. Or we what can might stop happen.
1: watching the news.
2: Yeah, and just <laughs> let the news happen to us. Yeah.
1: Just join the sheeple. Yeah. You
2: know, the other day we discussed George Lakoff. Right. You know, I, you know, I'm a little obsessed with George Lakoff because I think. He wrote the book that explains the place where Obama and the progressives came from. Like I said before, it was given to me by an old acorn worker um, during Obama's first um, election cycle, and it really does explain where he comes from. In The Political Mind, that's the name of George Lakoff's book, he talks about how people make decisions based on their emotions. And during the Obama years, the far left gained a great deal of success by using this method, which means that they made their politics always about empathy. Now, it could be empathy to gay people, empathy to poor people, empathy to people in Iran— Or Mexico, it it really doesn't matter what it is. It is empathy and it usually is married to identity politics. Right. Uh, Because what is more empathetic and attention getting than drawing something back to a group of people? Okay. And if you do not want to help that particular group of people, you are a jerk. OK, now, when you lose more use logical politics and you're talking about wanting to build a bridge, it's OK to be a jerk. <laughs> but if you don't want to be nice to people, doesn't matter what group of people, then you are a big fat jerk. Right. So by applying this empathetic angle to each and every issue, it appealed to the political mind that. George Lakoff talked about in what I always call his playbook. So, I think we agree upon that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, that the the empathy was what happened and took place, and it is what works.
1: And you How, know, I, I seen this yeah. on Facebook the other day too. In in that somebody posted, it was like four separate pictures in a collage, and it was past presidents hugging victims of some sort of natural disaster and then there was a picture of Trump that was tossing out paper towels or something (laughs) so what you were just talking about really reminded me of that meme if I can find it I'll uh, post it on the video version of the podcast do that. but it it was kind of comical but that's what really triggered me remembering that picture is what you just said
2: well, yeah, and you know, it, it's funny because what everybody says about Trump is he is so kind and personable one-on-one. There was a lady, uh, one of the shooting victims in Vegas yesterday, uh, she had just met with the president. He had came to her hospital room, and she's very much a liberal Democrat, she said, but she said he was so much different than the guy on Twitter. She she talked about on Twitter, she said he was so kind and so personable. So what you what you say is just part of that dichotomy, you know, throwing the paper towels like he's throwing those people under the bus. Right. Uh, but they say, and people that actually do interact with him say that um, he isn't like that. But
1: once you get over his weird handshake, that is. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, you love the handshake thing. Oh yeah, that yeah. pulling
1: thing is just so weird. It yeah, was yeah. it was neat when uh, he met Trudeau and Trudeau was kind of prepared for it, so they kind of had that standoff, yeah. yanking each other's hand, <laughs> yank fest. But you know, <laughs> I,
2: a, a handshake does tell a lot about a person. But I don't, I, I don't yeah, want to go. We're digressing. That yeah, yeah, we're terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so what <laughs> happened so quickly that we gained Donald Trump?
0: That's our new
2: question. What happened to empathy? Because there is nothing about the Trump president, the presidential win that screams empathy. In fact, it is pretty much the opposite.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: People weren't looking for, you know, Obama was the hope and change guy. And I think empathy went right along with that.
1: But nothing really changed, did it?
2: No, it didn't. It really didn't. Trump is just the opposite. And when you think about eight years, well, and really four, because Obama was elected twice, we just upended this empathy idea.
1: Opposite end of the scale. Boom.
2: Exactly. So let's talk about this. The new enlightenment. What truly is the new enlightenment? Trump is a populist, which means he represents a pragmatic idealism that coincides with business practices. After all, he's a businessman, okay? He likes to negotiate. So when you are pragmatic and you like to negotiate, you go to the bargaining table and you get as much of what you want as you can.
1: Right, you try to win.
2: Exactly, you sure as hell don't walk away without anything. And a lot of times people will walk away with nothing As a matter of principle. Right. That is one principle that Trump would never entertain. But if you do that, you walk away from the table without anything. It's what? It's an emotional decision. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So it was and is Obama's former government. There's this principle. And this government was defined and taught by the progressives, the linguist and George Lakoff. So what we have is we got this guy that is not going to, you know, is going to walk away from the table without anything, Obama, and he did often. That's why we didn't get change.
1: Right. There's still stuff from NAFTA that's not solved.
2: Exactly. Because if you didn't want to do, take his whole package, then... It was nothing. That's why we got this whole big Obamacare. Right. That is just, he stuck stuff in there about guns. He stuck things in there about, you know, having your doctor, and he would tie it to health care because he wanted your doctor to ask you if you had guns in your house.
1: <laughs> I had no idea. You know,
2: at, at your annual tech up. So he would twist it and if he couldn't have everything, then he, like I said, he wanted nothing. So you, t- you, you totally have this different ideal. That's why Trump could have dinner with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer from the Democratic side. And he could get a nugget of what he wanted for the right. future. Yeah. And he could give them a little something, too. It's called negotiation. The other thing Trump is that we have kind of touched on already is um, Trump is a nationalist. Obama, Trudeau, globalists.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely.
2: He believes, Trump believes in America first. Nationalism, regardless of what your politics are, is a logical idealism. It's birthed from a b- discipline that is almost b- biblical as at its roots, and you know a lot of religious people follow Trump, and and not because he's religious. Yeah, that's for darn sure. Okay, and I've mentioned this before. Even as Cain asked God, "Am I my brother's keeper?" One can argue that biblically speaking, Trump appeals to that logical idea. That is. You take care of your family first, your community second, your country third, and last is the rest of the globe. That's like if you have starving kids in your city or in your family, the ideal is you take care of them first. Right. It is a logical way of taking care of things where an empathetic role is you run to the place that is By somebody's definition, the worst.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we are actually moving towards the new world order because, and what has caused that is the technology that we do have today. It's global. I can talk to friends in Australia and the UK in in seconds. They're basically in my living room with me with my laptop, you know? So that's true. We reach so much further than we ever did before.
2: But we were going there with Obama. With Trump, we're not. And, you know, he's ticked off the rest of the world. When Bloomberg writes the New World Order is leaving the U.S. behind, American allies have decided Trump is simply not someone they can do business with. Then uh, we pretty much upset that apple cart. Yeah, and and, and And like I I we see that happening. And he cares about the globe. But it's not first on his list. First on his f- list is you take care of, you know, your, your family, your country, your community. You know, it's kind of um, like we were talking about with Puerto Rico the other day. Right. You know, Puerto Rico with Trump is going to be taken care of. But that's going to be behind Houston uh, or, and the Texas area and Florida because that's the community. That's mm-hmm. his spot. Obama, in the same situation, would have probably given Puerto Rico more. And he probably would have justified it by the fact that they are poor, a, a poor community.
1: I, I would see that. I, I agree with that, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some big differences in the politics of yesterday to what we're facing right now.
2: Anyway. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's very short.
1: We, we talked about it, actually, before the Allies pulling out, like with their missile defense over North Korea, the Canadians decided that we're not going to go in with you guys on the missile defense system for North America. So that started to happen a long time ago where the Allies were pulling out. So, yeah, I see it, it happening. Is,
2: it is. It, yeah, it, it is. And so um, where it will end and how long will you know the Trump idealism maintain we we don't know. Trump is also drain this swamp. That's Trump's mantra, you know, and this really means no more of the old shadow government. Yeah. Um, that thrives on political backmail that has good old boys calling the shots in the background. Right. Um, these people are resistant to change. The swamp is resistant to change. They again are the guys Much like Obama. And and, and in some ways, Obama was like the establishment and the way he, his mechanics, the way he did things. But these are guys that will go to the table and they'll stalemate if they don't get everything they want. Right. Which we see happening. Yeah. Trump is the anti establishment, anti swamp, anti power broker. Anti empathetic approach. And with that approach, a new kind of voter emerged. And it's not a typical Republican. It's not a typical Democrat for sure. I agree. It that. is a populist. It is a lot of blue collar Democrats. It is a, a lot of Republicans, middle class and lower class Republicans. Um, some of the upper crust. They don't like it because they don't like change. Yeah, you know the status quo keeps them right where they want to be. So again, we ask, what happened to George Lakoff's voters? All with emotional, emotionally charged minds. Okay, Connor, can you say evolution? Yeah, yeah. That For is, sure. if you were on the right, you would say uh, that. Yeah. Um, can you say regression? Right, if you recite on the left. Now, that's not to say they're not still emotional people out there. And as we talk about Obama's army and his particular shadow government, these are still people that are are reacting to that empathy. Right. So I'm not saying they're all gone or that because they do not use logic that they're somehow lesser. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... These are. This is what is going on. Right. This is the facts. So certainly, um, both have taken place in history. We have certainly evolved, and at times we have certainly regressed. That's why we can't remember why and how we built the pyramids. Hmm. So, (laughs) you know, who knows what happened? You know. So we we do regress, but it all happens so quickly. I mean, when yeah. you take the span of our lifetime, things have happened quickly. You know, you and I are about the same age. We've seen microwaves come about.
1: and Yeah. Cell phones go from bricks to these slim little things we exactly. put in our pocket. I mean, and and we can send somebody to the moon with a cell phone. Exactly. We could have.
2: So it's happened really fast. And in the past, I don't know, five, ten years since the internet has really began to establish itself. It's certainly been a part of technology that's boomed for more than 20 years. But in the past five or 10 years, you've seen Mm -hmm. Google, Facebook, Twitter. These things all really change our culture.
1: Yeah, change our way of thinking.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So my thought is, is technology rewiring our brains?
1: Well, I think so. I think the children of tomorrow are going to have a much different upbringing than we had. I mean, all the crazy, stupid shit that I did when I was a kid uh, was never on Facebook because nobody had a camera. And, geez, we would have never posted it on Facebook because our parents would have seen it. Now kids just go ahead and they don't even seem to think. It's just a part of life for them where, to us, it was new and different. They don't see that. It's always been No, they been there. don't. It's no, not, they don't. It's not change for them. It was change for us.
2: Well, and it this technology feeds us a transparency. Yeah, like you're talking about, and there is little need for intellectual hypotheses. For example, if you can Google something and find the real answer, you and I aren't going to sit around and um, argue hypothesize yeah. Yeah. about why I've got a lump on the side of my face, you know, or what it really means when they say you have, you know, stones in your saliva glands. We can, I can walk over to the computer. The, the doctor really didn't even have to tell me that much. And, you know, in the past, we would have came home from the doctor and chatted about how that could happen. Now <laughs> I can look it up and, and
1: there you I know go.
2: why it happened. Yeah. But there, we, we don't have to project as much. We, we can know. So there is this transparency. And on top of that, empathy really is being replaced by Google.
1: By data and logic. Exactly. Change is happening and has happened.
2: Yeah. If I want to tell you something, I can Google it and, and forward it to you in an email, and we don't have to waste our time talking. Yeah, Yeah, I kind of miss talking, and um, but our kids, you know, it's like I was telling you the other day. I have you know a camera on my front doorstep. I know when my twenty-one-year-old son comes and goes. Well, bless his heart. I wouldn't (laughs) have wanted my parents to have video every time I come and went out the door.
1: Yeah. Oh, geez, that's a bad thought. (laughs) yeah
2: well, and but on the other hand, that's back when people dated, and the guy would drive the girl home, and I wouldn't want my parents seeing that,
1: yeah, exactly now
2: they don't now they don't even do that part, you know, they don't really go on dates, and the guy brings the girl home, they meet someplace and hang out,
1: Netflix and chill,
2: yeah, so you know there's change right there for you, yeah, there is change, you know, so it's no wonder that we've evolved so quickly. Out of an emotional state, characteristic of the old enlightenment, and into a logical-based new enlightenment. The real question is, which is preferable for a nation, emotion or logic?
1: I'm right down the middle with that one. A you know, little I of
2: both. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that lots of things are better in the middle. But, you know, this is, change is good, you know? There's an article by Annie Alexander, and she goes, just gonna go through them really quickly. 10 good reasons why we should love change. Because of personal growth, flexibility, it encourages us to be adaptable, improvements, we can't improve if we don't change. It helps us reevaluate our life values. You know, which is a good idea yeah. because our, our first ones aren't always the best, you know, our yeah. first deals. It, it is a snowball effect, kind of like you're talking about, you know, when yeah. you do something well or one part of your life goes well, then it all seems to follow, right. you know, kind of like the Midas touch. It also gives us strength. We progress. It also offers us opportunities. Opens new new doors, yeah. Exactly, new beginnings. It eliminates perpetual routine, like the Groundhog Day. (laughs) And it does remind me of Einstein's famous theory, insanity is doing the same thing over Over and and over over. again, and expecting different results.
1: And my brain goes straight to The Simpsons, where Homer keeps touching the donut that's electrified.
2: I haven't seen
1: that. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, it right there. So we, I definitely agree. This this change is is a good thing. But I think that emotion or logic, on or off, black or white, it's not really like that. There, it's more complex, and I think we got to be more down the center, a little bit of emotion, and take that into consideration with the logic. You
2: know, I kind of agree with you. Wow. And because. Obama and Trump are truly polar opposites.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: I, I don't think that's altogether bad, and we, Trump certainly hasn't been in office long enough for us to draw a conclusion about what, if anything, he's going to get done. But I, I tend to gravitate a, a little bit towards the center. So it's, it's, it's interesting.
1: Well, they say to have a good life, you must have balance. That's right. And what is balance? Just what we were talking about just now. So we agree.
2: We agree. And uh, we don't always agree. Nope. But life's a journey and we're all in this together. So thanks for listening. Godspeed, Connor. And Godspeed to all of our friends out there.
1: Godspeed. Thanks for listening. And welcome back, Grace. Thank you.